Okay, today is July the 22nd, 2010. And we've already been blessed, at least at my house, with rain twice today. And I think we got a little rain here. This has really been a pretty comfortable summer compared to ones we've had in the past, hasn't it? Uh, so we want to remember to thank the Lord on that. Let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. Rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. And we recognize that we don't earn or deserve anything that you give us. But you consistently give us the opportunity to grow in grace and knowledge. We won't have any excuse as we stand before you. There are no excuses. Because your grace is always sufficient. We pray that you will help us to reinforce the doctrines that we have already learned, be able to understand doctrines that have maybe been a little fuzzy, so that we can stand firm for the faith. It's needed desperately today. Incrementalism has crept in not only on the governmental scene, but also in the spiritual scene. People have become sloppy in their thinking. They usually act from their emotions. There's very little doctrine being applied these days. So we pray that you will help us, at least in our own periphery, stand our ground. Use the discernment and the wisdom that you have given us in your word. Take every opportunity that we can to tell others about who and what you are. We pray that you will help us to understand thoroughly 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue in it for we pray it in Christ's name Amen <clears throat> I was going to tell you some things that I read in the Israel My Glory magazine and I can't find it it might be in my briefcase and I didn't want to take the hour it would take to look for it in there so it just to suffice it to say it's the same old thing it's embarrassing how we have helped the enemies of Israel, Hezbollah and Hamas. And we're doing everything in order to help them. In fact, in one of the articles in this Israel My Glory, it was one of, the, one of our generals that was helping, uh, if you can believe this, the, um, the, really their terrorist organizations. And in an interview, he said that He's certain that the things that he has trained them to do are going to be used against Israel in order to drive them into the sea. That's unfortunate. So <clears throat> what we do, though, is just keeping on what we're supposed to do, and that's taking in doctrine and being ready to uh, give a reason to anyone who might ask for the hope that is in us. So I hope you will turn now in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> I 
First Thessalonians four, verse thirteen. First Thessalonians four thirteen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. You may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and of course that's a first class conditional clause, and we do, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This is what they were very concerned about. Those who had already died, were they going to miss out? What was the the answer to this? And in verse 15, For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to precede them in meeting the Lord in the air. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we, we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these things. I think we're going to begin tonight. Let's see where we are here. Yeah, I'll just go. Uh, I'm going to start where I did last time, just for a moment. We looked at the shout. <clears throat> the sh- there's two voices or two sounds that come out of this whole scenario. The shout, which is Jesus Christ Himself, and we we saw that the shout is. Uh, Kelusima, K-E-L-E-U-S-M-A, and it's a, in order, a very commanding cry. And it's literally going to wake the dead, and they're going to rise first. We also saw, uh, well, we went over these, these verses to show, uh, like in Job 14, 14 through 15. If a man dies, will he live again? That's the question of the ages. All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. He recognized that he was not going to inherit heaven in his fleshly body. He says, you will call, and I will answer you, and will long for the work of thy hands. Now, this is an Old Testament believer. But notice, there's a call here. So evidently, there's going to be a shout when Jesus Christ comes from us. And even when the second, at the second advent, when the Old Testament believers are going to get their resurrection body. Evidently, there's going to be a call there. And then we have uh, Job uh, 25, 27. We went over these verses already. The next, the next part here is with the voice of the archangel. Then it's, it's important. If you at First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, where it says, the Lord, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. You might underline himself. I think this is the reason that this is given here. It's got the demonstrative pronoun meaning himself. Is that he's not sending any angels. He's not sending someone. He's taking care of this himself. And so when it says with the voice of the archangel. He's not saying that the archangel is going to accompany him. And the archangel is going to say something. He's just simply saying he's describing the shout. It's with the voice of an archangel. An archangel is the highest, uh, highest ranking angel. And there's only one that's named, and that's Michael. 
And it's a commanding voice. So it is attributing to this, this shout, it's describing it, you could really put it as a simile. It's not as an assembly, but I think that's the understanding. That's the only, only um, the most uh, feasible explanation rather than angels coming. Remember, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. With a voice, or like the voice of an archangel. We went over that. And with the trumpet of God, and we looked at the different trumpets, there's a lot of trumpets in the Bible, but we have to be careful here that we make sure that the seventh trumpet in the trumpet judgments that's going to take place during the tribulation, the seventh trumpet that's found in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 is not the same trumpet mentioned in our verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, nor is it the, the trumpet in 1 in Corinthians 15.52. In both those instances, in 1 Corinthians 15.52, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, those both are the same trumpet because they're both describing what we call the rapture of the church. But in Revelation 11.15, that is a different trumpet. And I've gone already into great detail to distinguish the difference between the Old Testament saints receiving their resurrection body at the second advent and the church age saints who are going to get their resurrection body in the rapture, at the rapture, and that's what First uh, Corinthians 15:52 in our scripture here is saying. This, so it's 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 the last uh, trumpet, and I couldn't come up with a better word last time when I was describing the trumpets. I said there could be a series of trumpets, and I'm I, I'm I'm better versed today to say it's not a toot, it's a blast. How about that? We're going to have a blast. <laughs> we're going to have a blast, a literal blast, and we're going to, it's going to be a blast when we rise up into the clouds and meet Jesus Christ. So, uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, only church-age believers are in Christ. This is very important. So, in this verse, I want you to take the part that says, the dead in Christ. Church-age believers are the only believers ever that are in Christ. And that's due to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are unique, not because of anything of ourselves. We're no better and no worse than any other people. I don't know, maybe we might be worse, I don't know, but I know we're no better. The only reason that we have this very high honor is because of what God decided to do in His program for the church is to unite us very intimately with Jesus Christ forever. And that never changes. We are the bride of Christ. And that means that these are the people that are going to rise. And only these people are rising here. I'm just going through this again to, to nail this down. I've already done this last time. And then we went into, uh, the, the last thing I say here is that, uh, well, for instance, the term in Christ is used 91 times in the New Testament, but it's not found in the Old Testament even one time. That's because no Old Testament saint is in Christ. They were not baptized by the Holy Spirit. That did not happen until 50 days after Christ was 
resurrected on the day of Pentecost. So, Old Testament saints will receive their resurrection bodies at the second advent. And here are the verses. I'm not going to read them. You have Isaiah 26, 19 through 20. Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14. Daniel 12, 1 through 2. Uh, Daniel 12, 13. Matthew 24, 30 through 31. And if you remember, uh, is this where I describe that? Yeah, here it is. Uh, Matthew 24, 30 through 31 is not describing the rapture. There are those who mistakenly think that. If you, if you think about it for a moment, you can see why people get mixed up because there are some, there are some similarities between what's going to take place at the rapture and what's going to take place at the second advent because you have uh, certain believers... Uh, of the Old Testament, who have died, and where are they now? They're in heaven. And, by the way, I, I was looking for something today, and I found something that would substantiate that point that I just gave you. And I think I have it on here that I can just show you. Yeah, here it is. Well, uh, I don't, let's see, 20... We'll just turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and I hope I'm at the right spot. Philippians, hold on just a second. What I'm looking for is I said Old Testament saints are in heaven. Oh, it's not. Uh, look at 3. Is this it? Oh, no, no, it's not here. I don't remember where, I remember where it is now. Okay. It's where uh, Paul went into the third heaven. Remember that? Where he was caught up into the third heaven? Yeah, it's 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to think of the right... Uh, let's see. It's coming to me. I just... I wasn't... Where's Vidal? Vidal? Look up uh, in your deal there, uh, third heaven. You remember? Do y'all remember? Uh, you, uh, you know, in your search, do you see the third heaven? Okay. Do y'all remember when we were talking about earlier? And I, I'm, what I'm trying to, just, to, to show you is that there are similarities between the church age rapture and the Old Testament saints resurrection. And one of the similarities I was going to give you was the fact that. When, if we die before the rapture occurs, we're going to be in heaven. Our soul and spirit is going to be in heaven. And that means that our soul and spirit has to come back 
with Christ to unite to make a resurrection body. Yes. Okay, thank you. Now, and what we found was that... Um, how do we know that the Old Testament believers are still are, are in heaven? And I said, well, Abraham's bosom and paradise was empty. And you go to Ephesians chapter 4 and it says he, that Christ took uh, captivity captive. And it, it, it's talking about when he ascended, he took all Old Testament saints with him. And I, I, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's, it's describing that. But I was looking for something else. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I found this. Uh, what verse, Michael? 12-2. Okay, let's start with, uh, well, this is, this is good enough. Let me give you a little background. This is the Apostle Paul, and he was stoned to death in Lystra. And he actually went into the third heaven. He's the only one that I'm aware of, biblically speaking, that went there and saw the third heaven and came back. He wasn't allowed to talk about it. Now, he doesn't name himself. He says, I know a man that was, did so-and-so. Uh, but it's, this is about the Apostle Paul. Now, look what he says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. Underline third heaven there. This is uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Mm-hmm. To the third heaven. Then he continues and he says, And I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. So he's making a point about what he doesn't know about the body, whether he was, what, evidently, he, whether he, what he looked like or the, the substance of his body. But here's number four. Look at this. Verse four. And was caught up to paradise. You see that? Underline paradise. So he is continuing... In other words, he's given another name for the third heaven, which here is paradise. So paradise is now in the third heaven. And was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. He, he couldn't come back and say what it was all about. Paul had to be a very um, special person for the Lord to give him that high honor to go into the third heaven uh, while he was still here on earth. I mean, in his well, he, he left earth, but he was able to go into the third heaven and then come back to earth in his physical body. So, what I'm telling you here is that there are some similarities. Just like our soul and spirit, if we die before Christ returns, must return with him. And the, the souls of, and, and spirits of the Old Testament saint at the second advent will also have to come with him. Because that's where they are now. They're not in, in the belly of the earth, which is, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, most uh, theologians agree. They think that's where it was. It was emptied and now it's in heaven. So that's a similarity and that has to do with what we were looking at in our uh, scriptures here with let me get this back up here I think I have to go up here a little further yeah right here uh, it, this is in Matthew chapter 24 verse 30 through 31 
Uh, this is, I think, where we ended last time. But it says, and then the sign of the man, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. See, you have another trumpet there. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, you can understand how some people get confused here because we're talking about in the air, angels are going to go out and they're going to gather those, it says, that to gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. And some would allege that this is the rapture. But this is referring to God sending angels. Remember, it says that God is going to come, uh, Jesus Christ is going to come get us Himself, remember? But here we have second, uh, at the second advent, we're going to have Old Testament saints where God is going to send His angels to get the soul and spirit of the Old Testament saints throughout the heavens. Some, some translation, well, this one says sky. It says that from one end of the sky to the other. But this is not the word there is uranos, which means heaven. So this is when, Jesus, when God is going to send the angels to gather his saints that are still in heaven, their soul and spirit, to come down at the second advent to get their resurrection body. You got that? Now, some would say, oh, well, wait a minute. This says elect, and it has to be uh, the church age because the, uh, the church age is elect. Well, the church age is not the only ones who are elect. And some will say, yeah, but you don't see the word elect in the Old Testament. And I say it just depends on what testament you're looking at or what version of the text you're looking at. In the, Old, in the King James Version, the elect is mentioned four times in the Old Testament. So this is, this is what this is referring to. It is not the rapture of the church. The things that take place here do not take place at the rapture. Jesus Christ is coming Himself. He's not sending angels. And all the, we saw some of the differences. In fact, we saw 16 differences when we went to the PowerPoint to show the difference between what happens at the rapture and what happens at the second advent. So this is not the rapture. Now, Revelation chapter 11, verse 17 through 18. Because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. Do you see the time frame here? We're talking about the Old Testament believers. And in this, we see, and the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came. Now, that fits perfectly into the um, timetable of the... Tribulation, Daniel's 70th week. And the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and the time to give their reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to those who fear thy name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, this is not talking about the rapture. This is Old Testament saints. And after... The wrath has taken place. We see the time for the dead to be judged. This is the, the, the goats and the sheep 
are going to be separated. Those believers from unbelievers are going to uh, be determined their fate at this time. And it appears that there are going to be Old Testament saints, and it gives a description to them. They're called bond servants, prophets, and saints, and to those who fear thy name, small and great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. What's going to happen at the second advent, not only is that the time when the Old Testament saints are going to get their resurrection body, it's also a time when God is going to judge the earth. He's already been, His wrath has been poured out during the tribulational period, but now uh, this is the time for judgment in the sense of all unbelievers are going to be, uh, they're going to receive the baptism of fire. They're going to be identified with fire and all unbelievers are going to be removed from planet earth and they're going to be well i don't i say planet earth they're going to be put in torments if torments is in the belly of the earth and that's where they're going and so that's what this would be and and to destroy those who destroy the earth this is talking about the unbelievers y'all see what this is talking about I'm trying to get you oriented to the great distinction and differences between the rapture, which takes place when Christ returns to get his bride, the church, and only the church, only those who are in Christ, and what happens at the end of the tribulational period, you're going to have the second advent, and the Old Testament saints are going to get their resurrection body, and also at the time that the unbelievers are going to be taken off the earth. There's going to be a lot going on there. That's why some people have a hard time putting it all together because so much is going to happen in this time frame. The Bible uses a lot of text. There's a, there's a lot of the space in the Bible that is devoted to these things, to this time, because so much is going to be happening. And I want to make sure that you are grounded and you understand these distinctions because when you start losing these distinctions, you can go haywire and you get way off. So that's why we're going to these verses. We're, we're dealing with, let me show you again what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with scriptures that substantiate the fact that Old Testament believers are going to get their resurrection body at the second advent. Again, we have Isaiah 26, 19 through 20, Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14, Daniel 12, 1 through 2, Daniel 12, 13, Matthew 24, 30 through 31. We have Revelation 11, 17 through 18, and then we have the last one here, Revelation 24. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of the beast upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with, Jesus, with Christ for a thousand years. These are talking about the tribulational martyrs. These are the ones that stood for Christ and were martyred. So you have the Old Testament saints who have been, they were in Abraham's bosom, paradise, when Christ ascended. He took them with him up to heaven. Now they're in, in the third heaven. With, and, and when this occurs, the second advent, he's going to bring them back. And also those who died during the tribulational period who were martyred are going to receive their resurrection body here. 
You got it? This verse refers to tribulational martyrs who receive their resurrection bodies at the second advent. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Notice Paul did not say those who are alive and remain. Did you notice that in that verse? He says we who are alive and remain. Paul believed he could be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, or he wouldn't have included himself here. He, that was absolutely had to be a possibility to him, or he would have used a different word here. He would have said those who remain, but he said we who remain. It was a possibility as far as he was concerned. Church-age believers will be caught up to him in the air above the earth who are alive and have remained on the earth until the time Jesus Christ returns. Now, this is an interesting word here. Shall be caught up together with them. The Greek word for shall be caught up is the Greek word harpazo. H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. It's a verb. It's the future passive indicative. It means to seize or snatch away. It means to... You got them. Because it's going to happen in, a, in an instant. Now, notice it's future tense... Passive voice. You know what that means? You can be sitting there just like you are now. You might be walking down the street. You might be brushing your teeth. Whatever it is, you're gone. About that long is how much it's going to take. You know, there are some who question. Uh, we know, let me put it this way. We know that at the second advent, every eye is going to see Jesus Christ. And it would appear that some have asked, and it's an interesting question, what about at the rapture? Are unbelievers going to see um, this happen? See the believers go up and so forth. How can they see it in the twinkling of an eye? Can you see something that fast? And I've got, I've got some, some uh, theologians who comment that they don't think that they're going to hear the shout either, that the shout is only going to be heard by those in the graves. And in an instant, if we're still alive then, we're already there. I don't know how far up in the sky that Christ is going to be, but First Corinthians chapter 15 says that it's going to take place in the twinkling of an eye. And that is quick. So this word harpazo is an interesting word to be caught. It means to sneak... Uh, to, to seize or snatch away. Now, in John chapter 6, verse 15, they were going to take Christ by force. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, Philip was snatched away. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, Philip had just baptized somebody and he was walking out with a guy and the next thing you know, he's gone. He was just, he's gone. Can you imagine if you were the, um, I think it was the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and you've you're just been baptized, you're walking out beside the person who baptized you and said, and you know, um, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Snatched away. I'm giving you illustrations where this word is used to give you the different aspects of it. 
Paul was snatched away from the wrath of the crowd in Acts 23.10. Paul was bound and determined to go to Jerusalem. God didn't want to, did not want him to go. He sent a prophet and said, don't go. The people said, don't go. Paul said, I'm going. It was an emotional thing. And when he got there, he got in a big scrap with the, with the crowd, and it was a Roman centurion that came in and saved his hide. And in Acts chapter 3, 23, verse 10, he had to forcibly remove Paul from the crowd. He had to snatch him away. Paul was caught up to the third heaven. We just saw that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. Gone. Jesus was caught up to God at His ascension. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. The word harpanzo means to take by force in John 6:15. It makes one wonder if there will be some who will be taken by force as Lot and his family were taken out of Sodom. In other words, there might be people on earth that don't want to go. Believers. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I'm supposed to get married tomorrow. <laughs> Turn to Genesis chapter 19. I don't know if y'all remember this. I taught it not too long ago. This is hard to believe, but I believe it because the Bible records it. Well, really, when you think about how stupid man is, it's pretty easy to believe. Genesis chapter 19. Look at verse 15. When the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah, God was about to destroy it. Verse 16. But he hesitated. This is Lot. So the men seized him. These are the angels. Seized his hand and the hands of his wife, and the hands of his daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought, they drug him out, and put him outside the city. <laughs> Can you imagine? God sends these two angels to warn them, and they saw what the angels could do. They struck all these homosexuals blind. And he said, we've got to get out of here. God is going to destroy the city. Let's go. Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> Had to grab them and drag them out. And it's just interesting that this, in, in John 6.15, this is when they were going to take Christ by force. And here, it, the, the, in other words, the, one of the nuances of the words means to take by force. I guess really there's not going to be any hesitation. I mean, God isn't going to... First of all, He's not sending angels, it appears, remember? He's coming Himself. And I guess it's, uh, there's not going to be time to say, uh, well, let's think about this, Lord. Can we, can we put this off a, a, a week? I've got a big deal going or anything like that because it's going to happen so fast it's out of here. But it's going to be a very forceful thing, evidently. And, there's, and you're not going to have... It. In other words, you're going to be sitting there, la da 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 boop, you're in the resurrection body, it's too late, you're already in there. I think that's great. The Latin word rapto, R-A-P-T-O, means to seize or to carry off, from which we get our English word rapture. See, we could just as easily, instead of calling it the rapture, we could call it the harpazo, the snatching away. 
But nobody does that. We're not familiar with that. But we do. You see how close rapto in the Latin is to the Greek harpazo? To seize or to carry off? It means, it means to just... Have you ever seen the uh, hawks come down and get something? Snatch it and they're gone? That's the idea. Okay, so that's an interesting word there. To be caught up together. Uh, harpazo together with them. Now, so now we look at with them. These are the church-age believers who died before Christ returns, uh, who are caught up to be with Christ. It appears that the dead in Christ and the believers who are alive at the rapture will rise together to meet in the air. In other words, it appears that it says the dead in Christ is going to rise first. But here we say it, it says that they're going to be taken up together. We're going to be taken up into the uh, clouds with them. So there can't be much time between the time that these believers, church-age believers who are asleep in the ground, they've died already, from when they start to rise, we've got to be right behind them because we're going to go with them up to meet Christ in the clouds. Now we have the clouds, in the clouds. One of the many differences between the rapture and the second advent is the termination point of Christ's trip. It will, the rapture, it will end above the earth in the clouds at the rapture, but the end when he touches earth at the second advent is, he's going to actually touch earth. And in Zechariah 14.4 is when it's describing when Jesus Christ comes back at the second advent to get the Old Testament saints, his foot is actually going to touch the Mount of Olives and it's going to split and there's going to be a big valley the whole topography of the earth is going to change. And that doesn't take place at the rapture. There's so many differences. But the fact that, it, that Christ's trip to planet earth terminates in the air separates that from what's going to happen at the second advent because he is, he is actually going to touch down on planet earth. So to meet the Lord in the air, what a fantastic event this will be to see the Lord as well as our loved ones who have gone before us. There's never been anything like it and probably never going to be anything after it that's going to even be close. We're going to be able to see the Lord and all your believing loved ones. They're going to, we're all going to be with the Lord. Is that going to be a... <laughs> we, I can't even begin to try to explain or describe how wonderful that's going to be. But it's going to happen... And here's, here's, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. This has to do with this last phrase we just looked at. First John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, I want you to underline the word when, but we know that when He appears, 
we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure, just as the, the Lord is pure. Now, the reason I said that uh, I want you to underline when, because that's really not a very good translation. Because where you would have the word when in this English version, we have the Greek word ian, E-A-N. This is a conjunction and it sets up a third class conditional clause. And that means it would, it would sound, uh, oh, by the way, in the clause, uh, third class conditional clause and appears is in the aorist passive subjunctive and it should be rendered if he appears. Did that get your attention? I'm sorry, that's what it says. This is a third class conditional clause. So, what it really says in the Greek is, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be, but we know that if He appears, we shall be like Him. Y'all don't like that, do you? <laughs> I better explain. Of course, we know that it is certain He will return. And the meaning here is if He returns in our lifetime. It's the only thing it can be. Because we know that He's going to appear. But it is a third class conditional clause, which means if He returns. And of course... Yes... Of course, Paul isn't saying maybe Christ will come and maybe he will not. Y'all all recognize that. I mean, if that's what it meant, then the Bible is contradicting itself and we'd all be confused and can't mean that. But it is a third class conditional clause. And the only, the only meaning that makes sense is if he returns in our lifetime. That's the, only, that's the only thing that is in question. That's the only thing in question for us, isn't it? I mean, do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return? Well, if you believe that the Bible is God's Word, and we've got, we, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're, going, we're getting a, a detailed description of Jesus Christ returning. So we, we know these are in the indicative moods, by the way. Not this one, but on the verses that we were talking about when Christ comes. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. Will descend, this indicative move, meaning reality. So the only thing in question, as far as you are concerned, the only thing in question as far as Paul was concerned, is not as if Christ is coming back. If Christ is not coming back, then you go to John chapter 14, in the first say, four or five verses there, and put a big circle around there and put a big X out there and at the top say, Christ is a liar. Because he said he's coming back. But here, he says, if he appears, and it's talking about if he returns in our lifetime. Now, the hope is that he might return during our lifetime. Because look at this verse again. Now, with that meaning, with that third class conditional clause, meaning if there, it would say, Beloved, we are now, uh, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. 
We can say that we'll have a body that is likened to Christ, and we can look and see what Christ's body was like, and we get a kind of an idea. But we don't know. No one has experienced this. No one can give us any detailed explanation about it. And so it hasn't appeared what we shall be, but we know if He appears, meaning in our lifetime, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope, do you think the hope here is talking about that we're going to be like Him? Or do you think that it's more reasonable to think that the hope is that He's going to return during our lifetime? I mean, it's cut and dried. We're going to be like Him. The hope, I think, here, in looking at this, the most reasonable explanation is that the hope fixed on Him is the hope that He's going to return in our lifetime, which is the third class conditional clause. And if you have that hope that He's coming in your lifetime, fixed on Him, it, it, it on Him purifies Himself. The person who thinks that Jesus Christ can a can return at any moment during your lifetime, then that has a purifying effect. As He is pure, and of course, this is uh, we, we can never be as pure as Christ is pure because He was impeccable, no sin. The hope is that He might return during our lifetime knowing he might return at any moment, had a purifying effect on their lives because they wanted to be found as faithful servants when He returned. And I think that's the same thing that goes for us as well. If there are certain things that have to take place before Jesus Christ returns, if the Antichrist is going to be revealed if we have to go through the sealed judgments before Jesus Christ returns, then there's no reason to look for Jesus Christ. There can't be a purifying effect with regards to knowing that He can come at any moment and you want to be found as a faithful servant because you'd be looking for the Antichrist. You'd be looking for these signs, these sealed judgments and so forth. The hope is that we would be found worthy when He comes and when He comes, is during our lifetime. That is the blessed hope. And then this last part. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time, and we will see Him in His glorified body. Only Peter, James, and John saw Christ in His glorified form in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. What an honor that was for those three. Did Peter deserve it? No. Did James? No. Did John? No. They didn't deserve it. It was just our Lord's will that they see Him. He gave them a preview of what Jesus Christ looks like in His full glory. And we're going to see Him as He really is. We've never seen Him at all, except through the eyes of the Scripture. But we're going to see Him, literally see Him. And it is my contention that he's going to look like what the description in Matthew chapter 17, that he is so brilliant, it's like looking at the sun in its full light. That's how much glory Jesus Christ is going to have, and probably even more than that. So not only are we going to see him, we're going to see him in a, in a, in a way that very few have. 
I think during the time that Christ was on earth, after he was resurrected, in his, in his resurrected body, I think that was kind of a, a modified form in order to perform the task that, he, that was left for him to do. But I think if, he, if they saw him as he really is in his resurrection body, you have to go to Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see Jesus Christ. I can't wait to be off of this earth and see those that I've loved that's already gone on before me. And I don't have time. I'm out of time now. But the next part is the best. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. I guess I'll give you this part. What a privilege and comfort this promise is. What does it really matter as to where we will be as long as we are with our Lord? Last part here. This answers our Lord's prayer that He will be with that we will be with Him in glory. In John chapter seventeen, John chapter seventeen is the true Lord's prayer. It's not Matthew five. The, the the true prayer is in John seventeen, where our Lord is is praying to the Father, and He says, "Father, I desire that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, in order that." they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. Christ prayed this prayer when he was still on earth, and it's going to be answered when he meets us together in the air. And so will we ever be with the Lord. And it's the, he said, the Father wants this because the Father loves us the same. And here's the last verse here. This is one I was, thought we were going to go to earlier, but I was a little confused on this one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice that. Turn to it. I want you to to, to, just take a moment. For our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that comforting? When you're born again and you're in God's family, you have the citizenship. This is Philippians 3.20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait. I want you to underline that part. We eagerly wait. Paul is not saying they, those who are going to be alive at that time when Christ returns. Why would Paul be eagerly waiting, including himself in there, if if Christ could, is not going to come till certain signs have to take place. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble, our body, the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has, that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. So our bodies, this humble state of the body that we're in now, is going to be conformed, this says, with the body of His glory. I think we need to think more about this. When I say more, I'm thinking more often. When you're depressed, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, we need to think what lies ahead for us. And when your body is breaking down and when you have pain, you're ill... 
you have all these ailments. We need to think about what this verse says. That He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. Yes. Mm-hmm. This gives us more details. Yeah. We have a great God that would take worms like us and conform this body that we have now into one that, according to this, says conformity with the body of His glory. That's where it's shouting off the rooftops, isn't it? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that this is all dependent upon the Lord. Whether He comes in our lifetime or whether He doesn't, we need to keep on keeping on. But knowing that He can return at any time is a purifying effect. What we all should aspire to is hearing that great accolade, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Boy, that, is, that means so much. But we have to keep these things straight. That's why I've been slow and deliberate in going over these scriptures. So that we won't get confused and get offline. And I'm exceedingly thankful to our Lord for His promise in John chapter 14 that He's coming back. And now we have all these descriptions of it. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time You've given us to focus upon this mighty event that's going to take place that will take place in Your timetable when You're ready and whether we have already gone on to be with the Lord in heaven or whether we're still alive when He returns. What a glorious event that's going to be. And it's because of Your matchless grace that we have at the end of this verse, so shall we ever be with the Lord. None of us could ever earn or deserve that or in our wildest dreams think that this could ever come to pass because of anything that we are or anything that we do. Thank You for this hope, this confidence, this great anticipation, this prosdikao. Thank You for this eternal sense of a personal sense of eternal destiny. We pray that we will meditate upon these things, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.